0: The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. So we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. We started in October of last year and we're kind of plotting our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 And as was mentioned earlier, we began talking about spiritual gifts a couple of weeks ago. First, talking about he who is spiritual and what a spiritual person looks like, and then talking about these varieties of gifts and these varieties of ministries that God has given to us as a church and the variety of effects, the variety of outcomes that come as a result of those gifts and those ministries that He uses or that He gives His church to use. And with all that in mind, just that background of spiritual gifts, let's look at our text this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were made all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body." If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each of them, in the body just as He desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." And if another, one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, then helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So we are going to try to tackle all of these verses today. Uh, We've got a lot of ground to cover, but I think it's important that we take this as one section because it, it comprises one section. It's really one issue that Paul is addressing here or one specific topic that he's really addressing, and I think it's important to take it and understand it in its context. So we're going to jump right in. The first point in our sermon outline is the unity of the church. Number one, the unity... Of the church, And when I talk about the church, I think it's important to understand right off the bat, whether we're talking about the universal church, the church as a whole, God's people everywhere, regardless of time or location, or whether we're talking about the local church, the church that gathers together locally to worship, to hold each other accountable, to grow in the Lord. And the answer is yes. I mean both. So when we talk about the unity of the church, we're talking about both the unity of the church universally and the local church. It's important to understand that the local church is a reflection of the global church or the universal church. That we are living out in a smaller scale very much what the global church, what the universal church is called to indeed live out. And by church, I don't mean a building, I mean I mean a body of believers, a collection of believers. That's why typically when I stand up, I'll say, Welcome to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. That's intentional. Specific. Because I don't want to say Welcome to Harmony Bible Church as though this building is Harmony Bible Church. This building is not Harmony Bible Church. If this church, if this building burns down, the church, God's church, will remain will remain intact. And we may have to find another place to to worship, but we will indeed still be a church. So we want to look at, first of all, the unity of the church. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. Paul writes, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Paul reminds the Corinthians that even though they each may have very different spiritual gifts, they were all given, each of those gifts were all given by the same Spirit. In fact, he goes even a step further by saying, by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. The word baptized simply means immersed. And so what Paul is saying is that the the connection that the Corinthian believers share is more than just a mutual connection. That it's more than just they're mutually connected to God. If you get on Facebook, the source of all truth, you get on Facebook, you'll find that it will pop up, it will say that, and you look at somebody's profile, or somebody's, what's it called, their page? I don't know. It, It will show you how many mutual friends you have. You have seven mutual friends. or You have six mutual friends. The idea here is not that we're we're just connected because we all know God. The point is that we are all connected to each other. It's not that our mutual friend is God. It's that we are also connected not only to Him, but to one another. And Paul says they were immersed, they were brought fully into a relationship with God and with each other. Now, Paul is not talking about unity without diversity. For he talks about the body being made up of many members. And we'll continue to stress that in the verses that lie ahead. But instead, he's stressing unity within diversity. Or unity that includes diversity. And the analogy that he uses here in the text to convey this point doesn't need much explanation. It should be pretty simple. There are many parts to the human body, and each part has a function... But that doesn't diminish the fact that it's part of something bigger. Namely, the body itself. So I have hands, right? I have hands and I have feet and I have hair. Well, kind of. I have have body parts and each of those parts are connected. And together they form a body. They're knit together and working for the common good. And he says, at the end of verse 12, he says, so it is, With Christ. Just like your body, the same is also true with Christ's body. He says it's just like that in the church. The church is Christ's body. And studying through this passage and thinking about this passage this week, I really began to think a lot about the incarnation. How Christ came to earth to live in a physical human body. And yet, even though that, that body was crucified, even though He was crucified, He was buried, He rose again, that He ascended into heaven, that He still lives today incarnate in a body, but the body is the church. That there's still a body, but it's a much different body. It's not a physical human body, but instead it's many bodies, many physically human bodies that make up the church. So there's this idea that we are unified, that we are knit together into something bigger than ourselves as Christ's body. And I think this is hard to grasp in 21st century America. I think this idea of unity is something we talk about, but I don't think it's something we really understand what Paul is really driving at here, because we're so independent, we're so autonomous. And I think it's even more true for us as Mainers. If you're from Maine, or if you're from New England, there's this idea that we like to brag about our independence. We like to brag about the fact that there's this rugged individualism. I once posted on Facebook um, that it was wrong to brag about our rugged, independent nature. And I had my lunch handed to me by many of my friends on Facebook, who said, how dare you attack this idea of independence? Independence is great, we should be independent. And now don't hear me say that this term is all negative when I say independent. If by independent I mean that we think for ourselves and don't simply follow our culture or the view of the day, then that's good. And if by independent I mean we care for our families, we support our families, and we don't depend on others, outside assistance, without necessity, then that is good. However, if by independent we mean that we have no need of God which many of us would not readily accept, I hope, that we have no need of God, or if we claim that we have no need of anyone else, namely the church, then we are dreadfully wrong. See, because last time I checked being self willed and arrogant, they were not things that God looked highly upon. So let's continue on, verse 13. In verse 13, Paul goes on to stress the fact that unity within the church exists regardless of one's ethnic or cultural background. He says, for by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. The phrase at the beginning of verse 13, by one Spirit, in Greek is more literally, in one Spirit, as the ESV and some other translations translate it. So what Paul is saying, in one Spirit, in one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were baptized into one body. The point being that we are not baptized or immersed by the Holy Spirit, but instead we are baptized by Jesus in the Holy Spirit. This is evident in the Gospels. Mark 1.8, uh, where we read uh, John the Baptist speaking, and we, he's baptizing in the desert, and He says, I baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That I'm baptizing here in the wilderness with water, but there is one who is coming, and He is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So instead of being baptized by a man such as John in water, the baptism that Jesus offers is a baptism by Him in the Holy Spirit. So the baptism that we're talking about today is completely different on many levels than water baptism. It's different than water baptism. Water baptism that we see done in the church is just an outward expression of an inward reality. It's an expression of what God has already done in us. It's a man baptizing you in water. It's a picture of Jesus baptizing you in the Holy Spirit, into the church through the Holy Spirit. So when Paul says, in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, he's stressing the idea of unity. In one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. See, he wants the Corinthian believers to know that they have all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this is important stuff. I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but I do want to address this issue. Because I know that many of you have friends who attend charismatic churches. And I know that there are charismatic churches in the area. that would differ on this point. And my point is not to to speak poorly about these people or these churches that they represent. I believe there are many well-meaning and God-fearing men and women who attend such churches. However, I do want to warn you. I want to warn you of this idea that exists within Christendom, within the Christian community, that Christians should seek what is sometimes referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's teaching that suggests that one can be born again, that one can be saved, but not filled with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, everyone who is saved, this teaching would continue, everyone who is saved, therefore, every believer, should therefore seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. That you can be born again, that you can be saved, but not filled with the Holy Spirit, so you need to then seek the filling of the Holy Spirit so that you can live a productive Christian life. And many would point to um, speaking in tongues as evidence of such filling. That the filling of that Holy Spirit is evidenced by the ability to speak in tongues. And Hopefully that's clear. That there's this idea that we're saved, but then we also need to be filled. And that the speaking of tongues is evidence of that filling. And I want to say that is not at all what Scripture teaches. Not only does Paul clearly say, all do not speak in tongues, do they? Right later on, expecting a negative response, or earlier on he says that. Expecting a negative response. No, all do not speak in tongues. Even more significant is the fact that this whole section details every believer's common experience. See, he's talking about when a believer passes from death to life, this is the common experience. For all of you, every one of you are born into one spirit. He's talking about unity here, not not division. He's not saying, well, there's some of you who experienced this and some of you who experienced this plus this. Instead, he's saying, no, there's this unity that exists. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And he wants the Corinthian believers to know that they were all brought into the church in the same way by Christ through the Holy Spirit they all received the exact same spiritual baptism. That's why John 7, 37-39 says this, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, But this He spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. Jesus Himself said that those who would receive the Holy Spirit would not be a select few. He said, but instead, it is He who believes in Me will receive the Spirit. John 14, verses 16-17 through I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you Forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. He says, He abides in you. He will be with you. When? Forever. And Paul in Romans 8, 8 through 9 says this Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. So look at this backwards. Take this text backwards. Conversely, what's being said is, those who do belong to Him, not not some, but all, those who do belong, everyone who belongs to Him, does have the Spirit. And therefore, what is the result? They can please God. That if you know Jesus Christ, if you belong to Him, you do have the Spirit of God living inside of you, and therefore you can please God. You see, without the Spirit though, the warning is clear. You can't please God. That there's no, no way to please God. I've said, that I've used this analogy many times. I love this analogy. It's a borrowed analogy. That the, de- the demand of of a holy and righteous God is one of perfection that the law demands perfect sinlessness and scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the idea is like trying to take a rock and throw it and hit the moon that some of us might get closer but neither one of none of us are going to be able to actually get to that standard that every one of us has fallen short of that standard and therefore the, the punishment for our sin, the, the penalty, the payment, if you will, for our sin is death. But Christ paid that price for us. That He died on the cross, taking our place, the punishment we rightly deserved, and He was raised on the third day, defeating death and sin so that we can live eternally with Him. You see, Once we receive Christ, once we belong to Him, we follow Him, we we turn from our sin. I was 19 years old. And I remember, specifically, I remember thinking that I was a pretty good guy. And that I, I just had a few things that I needed to work on in my life. But I remember the Spirit of God convicting me so clearly. And I was heading in one direction. God picked me up. He turned me around. That's what repentance means. He turned me around and caused me to to follow Him. I don't, I don't know if I... I didn't walk an aisle. I didn't say a prayer specifically. I don't remember the specific prayer. But there was a time I know that God picked me up, He turned me around, and He saved me from my sin. And I am now following Him. I love the way John Piper says it. He says, some people don't remember. They may not be able to say exactly when they were saved. But he says, I know that I was born... Not because I remember being born. I don't remember coming out of my mother's womb. But I know that I was born because I'm alive. And I know that I was born again because I am alive spiritually. I am His. He is my Lord and Savior. I belong to Him. And therefore, because I belong to Him, the Spirit of God dwells inside of me. And I can please God. We know that these verses are not talking, by the way, about some sort of down payment or tiny deposit of the Holy Spirit. Some might argue that. For I think that's plain from the simple reading of those verses. That it's not talking about a tiny deposit of the Holy Spirit, but it's talking about the Holy Spirit being given to you, dwelling in you, indwelling you. But also we know this from Colossians 2, verses 6-10, through which says this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form and in Him you have been made complete." and He is the head over all rule and authority. Paul says, when you received Jesus Christ the Lord, you were made complete. He doesn't say, well, what you need is another miraculous work whereby you can now live in a way that pleases God. He says, what you need, what you need is to walk in Him. Verse 6, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Now walk in Him. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord. You've been made complete. Now walk in Him. Live in light of that truth. Nowhere in Scripture do we see this idea that when we're saved, we're given a little bit of the Holy Spirit. And that the goal of the Christian life is to seek more of Him. In fact, just the opposite is the case. After all, does not 2 Peter 1.3 say, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness? His divine power has granted, it is done to us, all of us, every believer, everything. Paul doesn't say, or Peter doesn't say, His divine power is available to, to us. If only we would just ask for it and seek it. And someone, someone in an audience, uh, even this size, is sure to say, wait a minute, what about Ephesians 5.18? Well, You're telling us that we, don't, we shouldn't seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What about Ephesians 5.18? Well, the point of Ephesians 5.18 is not you need more of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The point is not you need more of the Holy Spirit. As Alistair Begg says, I love this quote, he says the question is not do I have all of the Holy Spirit, The question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of me? The point in Ephesians 5 is the same as that in Galatians 5 and Colossians 2 that we read earlier, where we're told to walk by the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit. I don't know about you, but my problem in my life is not a problem with God. It's a problem with me. My problem is not that I need more of God, it's that He needs more of me. I need to give more of me to Him. So the point of all of this is not to say that the church should be unified. The, the point is not to say the church should be unified. The point is, instead, that the church is unified. We've been immersed into His body, the church, by Christ, into His body, the church. And we've, we've been immersed by the Holy Spirit, or through the Holy Spirit. We've been brought into the body by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So we are unified. So, that's point number one. So having seen the first point, number one, the unity of the church, let's consider number two, the diversity of the church. We have to speed up here a little bit. Look at verses 14-19. through Here Paul continues the body analogy. Verse 14, "...for the body is not one member, but many." He says, the body, the human body, consider it. It's not one member, but many. Yes, it is one unit, but it's many different parts that make up that unit. Verse 15, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not a part, I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. You see, Paul wants the Corinthians to know that their diversity does not take away from their unity. That even though each part has a different function, it's still part of the body. And the picture that he paints is ridiculous. The foot saying, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Or the ear saying, well, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Imagine your foot wanting to be a hand. Or your ear wanting to be an eye. Or saying, because I'm not this other part, I'm useless to the body. It's absurd. It's absurd to think that that would be the case. So in the same way, Paul is driving at the fact that even if one's role within the body of Christ is different from another's role, it is no less a part of the body. Verse 17, If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now, God has placed the members, each of them, each one of them in the body, just as He desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? The point Paul makes is that just as God has assembled the human body with order and purpose, so He has also done so with the church. He's placed the members, each of them, in the body, just as He desired. You see, it's His design. And there's no room for individual members to question their role. My foot doesn't say, why do I have to be a foot? I want to be an eye. My foot doesn't take the initiative as I walk around to lift itself up and try to see. Instead, it is happy to be a foot. And there's no room for us to question our role. As Romans nine twenty through 21 says, Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Of course. Of course the potter has that right. So it's a spirit of pride that says, the church doesn't need me. And I've heard this, but it's a spirit of pride that says, the church doesn't need me. Because doing so says, God is wrong and I am right. God says, I need you. So when somebody says, the church doesn't need me, you're saying, God, you are a liar and I am right. You're saying you have nothing to offer the church when God says, actually you do. And in the same respect, it's a spirit of pride that says, I don't need the church. I don't need the church. For it too says that God is wrong and that you are right that you don't have need of other members when in fact, you do have a need of the rest of the body. So having seen, number one, the unity of the church, number two, the diversity of the church, let's consider the third point in our sermon outline. Number three, the necessity of the church. Look at verses 20 through 26 with me. Verse 20, But now there are many members, but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. The eye does not, the, the eye does need the hand. It does not say, I, I don't need you, because it does need the hand. And the head does need the feet. Imagine what a useless mess my head would be without the rest of my body, or my eye would be without the rest of my body. It needs the other parts of my body. Verse 22, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And I think the idea here is that the the parts of the body which maybe aren't as seen and and seem to be weak and kind of fragile, things that oftentimes are weak and fragile, things like our heart, our lungs, our liver, they need to be guarded and they need to be protected. And, And even though they're not visible they're not weaker. In fact, they're necessary, is what verse 22 says. Verse 23, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, the visual here is our organs again, our private, our private parts, those things which we deem less honorable, less visible, that we don't want to show off as much, on these we bestow abundant, more abundant honor. We're careful to protect and cover them. And thus... Our less presentable members, those less presentable members become much more presentable when they're clothed, when they're covered, when they're protected. You see, my heart is much more presentable in my chest than it would be outside of my chest. Whereas our more presentable members, like our hands and our arms and our legs, they don't have a need of it. They don't have that same kind of need. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which it lacked. I think the New Living Translation does a good job communicating the point of these verses. It reads this way. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that an extra honor, that extra honor and care should be given those parts that have less dignity or are less presentable. Why? Why did God do that? Why has God put together the human body in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity? Verse 25. So that, he says, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Because if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You see, the human body is meant to function in harmony. When my back hurts, my whole body suffers. And when I protect my members, especially things like my internal organs, my whole body benefits from that. And Paul's not just talking about the human body. This is not a biology lesson. Because he goes on, he says, in the same way, this is true in the church. Don't miss this. Verse 27. He says, Now, you are members of Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. See, he's saying there's great diversity within the body of Christ. And there are various ministries and various gifts. Notice he noticed, he mentions the ministries first: apostles, prophets, teachers, and then these gifts, miracles, healings, helps, administration. He's just talking about I don't think there's any significance necessarily to the list that he uses, but he's just saying, "There's various ministries, there's various gifts, there's great diversity within the body of Christ. Not every member is the same. He goes on and says, All are not apostles, are they? Or prophets, or teachers, or workers of miracles? All do not have gifts of healing or speak in tongues? All don't interpret, do they? The point is, no! No, not everyone has the same ministry or the same gift. Not every member of the body has the same function. But, he says, honor everyone. That's his point. Not every member has the same function, but honor everyone. But then, not wanting to be misunderstood, he also says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. So honor everyone. Not everyone has the same function. There is this diversity. There's a necessity that exists within the church where you need each other. So honor each other because you need each other, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I'll show you a still more excellent way. Namely, the way of love as he transitions into thirteen, chapter 13. See, Paul is not turning back on what he s- just said by saying earnestly desire the greater gifts. He's saying honor all gifts and ministries. You're all a part of the body. But, don't neglect the gifts that build up the whole church. Gifts like prophecy and teaching. When you come together, these gifts need to be evident. They need to be front and center. Because they are the means through which God builds up His body. And as we move forward into 1 Corinthians, we'll see that the church in Corinth had placed a high value on certain gifts. Gifts like speaking in tongues. So Paul says, I want you to honor all the gifts. There's no room for this division where one says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. Where one says, I am of tongues and I am of prophecy. He says, honor all the gifts but don't neglect what is supremely necessary. And using the body analogy, he's saying don't place supreme importance on your fingernails while neglecting your heart. There are things that are important. And and as humans, sometimes we do this even in the physical body. We place supreme importance on the outside of the body and we neglect the inside of the body. We neglect that which is supremely important. And I think as a church especially in 21st century America, this is a problem we could all fall into. Where we focus on the things that really don't matter, or that matter, shouldn't say that, the things that matter less, and neglect the things that matter most. He's saying, make sure you focus on the things, these gifts that, that build up the body, that they are front and center when you gather together. That's why I believe teaching is so important. That's why when we gather, we are all about teaching the Word of God and applying the Word of God. Yes, we serve. Yes, we do other things. But we don't get together on Sunday morning and say, let's wash each other's cars. There's a place for that. There's a place for loving one another. But when we gather together, we need to make sure that teaching and prophecy are front and center. Not that those gifts... Not that those people who have those gifts are more important, but that they have a place in building up the whole body. Honor all the gifts, but don't neglect the greater gifts. Instead, earnestly desire that when you gather together, they are front and center. and They must not be neglected. So in re- just as a review, we've seen number one, the unity of the church, number two, the diversity of the church, And number three, the necessity of the church. That the church is unified in Christ. That when we are born again, when we are made new by Jesus Christ, we are baptized, that Jesus baptizes us into His body through the Holy Spirit. You may not have asked for a family, but you got one. You may not have thought, you know, I am becoming part of something bigger than I. You may have thought, all I'm doing is just asking for a Savior. Well, you asked for a Savior and you know what? You were born into a family. There's this unity that exists, not should exist, but does exist within the church. We're all made to drink of the same Spirit. We're all born of the same Spirit. And there's this diversity that exists within the church. Though we're all connected, we're all part of a greater body, we are also individually members. We each have our part to play. And then there's the necessity. The necessity of the church that We need each other. That every member needs the other members. That there's no place for the foot to say, I don't need you. Or for the hand to say, they don't need me. Instead, there's a necessity that exists within the church. So the question is, how do we apply all of this, both individually and corporately, specifically, here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we take all this in and boil it down to where we apply it to our lives? Well, number one, We need to live out our unity. We are unified. So we need to live out that unity. We need to live in light of that. We need to recognize that we have been brought together into a body by Jesus through His Holy Spirit. And we are united. Therefore, we must live as such. We should be united in doctrine. United in purpose. Oftentimes, the things that we should be united in, we divide over. And the things that we should be diverse in, We unite around. We say, well, I like going to this church because they sing good music. We unite around things that we shouldn't unite around, and we divide over things that we shouldn't divide over. You know, I like that church. Why? Well, because they they sing hymns. Shame on you. Shame on me. Really. We should be united in doctrine. Doctrine united in purpose, and diverse in the other things. I'm not like Bill Batty. I'm not like T. I'm not like Mark. The Lord knows I'm not like Mark. Right? That if the whole body were T, were T, where would Bill be? If the whole body were Bill, where would T be? We should be diverse, but we need to be united. So number one, live out our unity. Number two, live out our diversity. Recognize that God has given us various gifts and ministries And He's put them together with order and purpose. Just as He put this body together with order and purpose, it has a function, so He brought us together in the same way. And therefore, we should bloom where we are planted. We should function well together, knowing that we are diverse, we're diversified in our gifts, but God has orchestrated that for His glory. So we need to live out our unity, live out our diversity, and number three live in light of our need for each other. We shouldn't say, the church doesn't need me, and I don't need the church. Instead, we should say, the church does need me. The church does need me. That's what God's Word says. And and I need the church. That I need the other members of the body. If I'm going to function and grow, I need that. We also need to honor every part of the body without neglecting that which is essential. You know, we came in this morning and one of the first things my wife said to me, we pulled in the driveway and she said, look at that freshly mowed lawn. Right? The lawn is mowed. Something we often don't notice. It just We just assume it's going to be done. We show up on Sunday. Somebody does it. I don't know, you know. Nobody, probably most of us, most of you don't know who does it. But we need to honor those other parts of the body that have a function, that have a purpose, that are being used for God's glory. But we do that not at the expense or not while neglecting the parts that are essential. We don't say, well, this is a community service organization. We're just gathering together to love one another. No, we teach, we preach, we apply God's Word. We live in light of God's Word. Because we want to earnestly desire those greater gifts when we gather together. But we honor every part of the body. You know, just in light of that, just a side note, thinking about needing each other, my thoughts have changed a lot about whether the members should gather every time the church doors are open. I used to get really upset by that kind of thought process. Churches that would say, every time the church doors are open, every member should be present. I'm not saying in every situation every member should be present. I know that there are times, families with young kids, people who have work schedules, who... Prevents them from being, but what I am saying is that we need to make sure that if we recognize that we need each other, that that doesn't happen in an hour or an hour and fifteen minutes. Because my sermons usually go over in an hour and fifteen minutes on Sunday morning. It's not a box we check. We need to live life together. It's not that every person is connected in the same way to every member. That's not going to be possible even in a body this size. But instead, we recognize that God has brought us together and we need to be connected to the body somehow. My toe relates to my foot differently than it does my ear. But it is a part of the body. Right? We, need to, we will connect on various levels, but we need to be connected to the whole body. We need the whole body of Christ. So as we apply this, just want to encourage you, live out your unity, live out your diversity, and live in light of your need for the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy as we look at this text. God, I pray that you'd be with us, that you would just help us to recognize that we are indeed united in you, that we do not need more of You, but instead we need to submit more of ourselves to You. God, that we would recognize that we all are in this together. That we need to be united in doctrine, united in purpose, proclaiming the Gospel, reaching the lost, helping each other grow in You. And God, that You would help us to live out our diversity recognizing that we've all been given different gifts, different ministries, but they all need to be used for Your glory, for the good of Your church. And God, that we would recognize our need, caring for one another, loving one another, taking every opportunity to be part of the body, to be connected to the other members so that we may grow and help the other members grow. Thank You for Your grace. We pray for an extra measure of it as we seek to apply it this week and for the rest of our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.